0: Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast brought to you by discipleship.org. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we've been listening to a man named David Rokup from TCM International. Today he's talking to us about the importance of prayer in our discipling relationships. You know, when I look back at the people I've discipled over the last couple of years, I see now that I did not spend nearly the amount of time needed in prayer to do this. I mean, I knew how to facilitate the group pretty well, but I didn't know how much of the battle was actually fought on my knees in prayer. If that's true of you, then let this episode challenge and encourage you to spend more and more of your time in prayer before you even open your mouth to speak into someone or begin discipling someone. All right, let's let David Rokup from TCM International encourage us today. Enjoy the episode.
1: We want to welcome everyone to our session today. My name is David Roadcup. I'm a full-time professor of discipleship at TCMI Institute. Uh, Our U.S. headquarters is in Indianapolis, and uh, we are located now in 55 different countries. And our main campus overseas is in Vienna, Austria, just south of Vienna a little bit. And... um, It's what I do for a living. I know many of you have never seen me before. You have no idea who who this is leading this session. I actually live in Florence, Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati. Married to Karen, 54 years. Two girls, four grandchildren. And um, I love traveling and writing and um, have a collection of Morgan Silver Dollars. Uh, uh, it's just a little hobby on the side that I love to really work. And you know they're not—they didn't—they're not making any more of them, and they melted most of them down in the war effort. And and uh, just fun to hunt those down and barter over them. And you know sometimes I arm wrestle guys and get them in a full Nelson and throw them to the mat. And you know, but, uh, but it's great to have you. I I love loving all four of the seminars on, that I'm doing. This one I think may be the most fun. Really, because I need your participation for sure in this. And uh, basically what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you our story, which is not done yet. And uh, I'm going to throw a bunch of spaghetti up against the wall and whatever sticks sticks for you. Yeah, if it sticks for you, take it and use it. And if I cover something and it just doesn't fit your situation, don't worry about it. Leave it alone and just keep keep going on. What I want to do, though, by the end of our time, is give you great encouragement and confidence in yourself to know that the people you disciple can become disciplers on their own right if we if we approach it approach it uh, right. I'd like for us though to stop for just a moment and do the most important thing we're going to do our whole time together, and just ask uh, the Lord to bless our time. Uh, uh, Bill, would you mind just leading us in prayer? It'd be great. Well, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, to come to this place to learn and to grow and to uh, fellowship uh, with each other. I thank you for David and for his uh, leadership in that set in this session. I pray that you would use him as you see fit. That you would speak through him to us, and that we would all benefit for the good of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thanks, Bill. So here, here's what we're facing, everyone. There's a major, major problem in the world of discipling. <laughs> it, it, it's really the big issue that we need to try to figure out a, a solution for. And let me just tell you that um, I am so open to hearing from you in the future to see what you have done, what you have found out that, that we haven't figured out yet. Just to kind of go back to the beginning, I did tell our last group that uh, I started, uh, my first D group was in 1976, Ozark Christian College and uh, discovered, you know, the power of when discipling is done uh, covered in prayer and asking the Lord for guidance and making sure the power of the Holy Spirit is behind you in doing this. The outcome of genuine transformation of life and heart really is the result of this. That, that, that's what happens. and so long story short, I just became a real believer uh, because I mentioned I was in youth ministry for seven years. I did everything that I knew to do with the kids, you know Bible studies, parties, retreats, trips, all of that. and they loved it and they participated. Uh, when they went to school on Monday morning, though it kind of all faded and they just went into the woodwork with everybody else and was really frustrated about that and I went through a teaching process with two of my friends on the West Coast who introduced me to the idea of discipling when really no one was doing it and um, tried. My first year was pretty much of a bust due to some extenuating circumstances and the second year uh, we hit pay dirt and I began to see real life change of heart and mind and spirit in the men that I was working with. Going back now, I was asked to add up the number of guys I've worked with over the last 40 years. It's a little over 425 guys I formally met with for at least one year and just poured myself into them, challenged them, loved them, held them accountable. And uh, I believe it's one of the legacies that I hope I will leave when I go home, you know, the lives of the men and their families that uh, the Lord was able to really work through uh, in all of those years. Here's the big issue, though, and what I wanted to speak to you know, I have six guys, we meet for 10 months and all through the time I challenge them, I want you to have a group of your own, you know, and one, one of the six converts and, has, and starts a group and the other five. And you go to the other five and say, guys, come on, this, this is kind of what we're doing. And they always say the exact same thing. They always say, oh, I, I can never do that. You know, I can never do that. And it always surprises me when I hear that because here you have a guy, I had a guy one time who was in Amway. Okay. And in Amway, there is, they call it an upline. I've never became a distributor, please. But there's something called an upline where you go out and you convince people to sell Amway, sell soap, you know. And this guy had 67 people in his upline. Talk about a salesman, you know. And I said to him, Walt, you know, you you have all the ability to lead a d-group. And he said to me, "I, I could never do that. I'm going. No, if you can recruit 67 people in an upline for to sell soap, you can you can recruit people to sell Jesus. I mean, you know, w- w- what is the problem here? Uh, but it's it's simply this: uh, lay people have never been trained, you know, and they don't have a lot of confidence in teaching Scripture. They haven't been to Bible college, and so there's a real sense of I'm not I'm not capable of doing this. I'm not prepared to do this. And um, in the model I want to show you today, one of the really exciting things about it is that it is absolutely transferable to lay people to do this. That's the thing we finally finally come to. Um, For the last four years, uh, we we rolled this whole idea out at the church where I attend, First Church of Christ in Burlington, Kentucky. The elders came and said, we want you to speak at an elders retreat we're going to have. You've got three hours. Cover anything you want. So the last 45 minutes of that retreat, I just carefully, like stealth, you know, introduced this idea of we're a healthy church now. What if we could take our entire church to a brand new level and see amazing results? Would you be interested in doing that? Oh, of course, you know. Okay, so let me just explain to you the approach that I think would work. And so I went through the whole thing, cast vision. I said, we we're, we're, are a healthy church right now with so many good things going Uh, What if we added this component to what we're doing? Where would we be five years from now? You know, even better than that, where would we be 10 years from now if we added this to the life of our church? So I got a call from our minister then about four or five days later, and um, he said, I'm calling to tell you that you really messed up the minds of our elders (laughs) on the retreat. They're very disturbed. And I said, I hope that it's a good disturbed. He said, it is. But um, the, uh, he said, I've had three guys call me and say, I, I can't get that out of my mind that Road Cup talked about. I, I, I can't release that. Um, so they said, can you come back for another three-hour shot next Thursday night? And we're going to invite about 20 of our, 20 of our key leaders, key, key lay leaders, and just talk to all of us, just explain in detail what this discipling thing is all about. <clears throat> so I met with them. We had a great meeting. And I think the thing that caught their attention was we, we are a good, healthy church right now. We're 2,400 pre-COVID. We're back up to about 1,700, 1,800. We're coming along, have a great missions program, good youth program, you know, great small groups ministry, all of that. So we did that that uh, three-hour uh, thing. That was, that was three years ago. We just started our fourth year just two weeks ago. <clears throat> um, along with other men's groups we've had and a women's discipling ministry. And let me just mention to all the men here, if you do this, you have to do this with women also in your church. It has to be a, fully, a full-blown women's program. As we started now, we have 30 women's groups and 56 men's groups in our church. and and, and we're we're not there yet. We're still getting traction. But let me just say that five years from now, I will tell you that I believe the Lord will totally transform our congregation uh, through through the thing we're talking about here. So I took the opportunity as a result of this to just begin to do some testing, and use some evaluation tools and uh, just figure out what, what's working and what isn't working. And uh, so this last year, we had a major, major breakthrough. And I want to tell you all about that as we move through here. Our uh, text, of course, for our time is 2 Timothy 2.2. I know you know this verse. <clears throat> just the heartbeat of anybody in shepherding, discipling, mentoring. is th- this very thing. <clears throat> now, uh, I want to share with you our context and then because I don't know the makeup of your church or the culture of your church, that's why I mentioned take, take out of everything we talk about what really works for you. And if something doesn't work, put file it because you may want to come back around to it later on and pick it up uh, quite possibly. But I would encourage you to be creative and to think this thing through on your own and do a lot of reasoning Pray about it and, uh, and just take whatever is in here and weave it into what you're doing so that five years from now, you know, if you don't have any discipling ministry at all, you could have a really healthy moving forward uh, men's and women's formal discipling group in your church. It, it, it really can't happen. <clears throat> so what I'm doing is giving you suggestions, ideas, some direction, uh, possible solutions. Again, just throwing out a bunch of stuff and you pick what works for you. And, and and what helps out. So we're talking about how do you create a discipling ministry in your church that is reproducible, where lay people are really leading formal identifiable groups. How do you make that happen? Here's some here's some cornerstones that need to be put into place. And we begin with the idea that fasting and prayer must be the foundation. That's where we start. I will tell you that so much that's happened in our group is a direct result of really seeking the Lord and bathing this thing in prayer. You know, we're really teaching our people about fasting, bringing more and more of our people on in terms of a regular fast time in their spiritual lives. And I think that that's helping a great deal. So we seek the Lord. We ask for his leading, his quickening, his anointing. And we just take this, you all, we just take this whole effort and we lay it in the Lord's hands. And we say, you know, we will be obedient and we need your power. We need you to power this thing and to get it up and running. We need you to speak into people's lives and have them say yes to be leaders and have them say yes to be group members. And, uh, and the whole thing is built on prayer. And uh, that really is the cornerstone maybe more than anything else. Uh, we, would, we would ask the Lord to lead us to people who had three basic characteristics. They are hungry, they are available, and they're teachable. Those three things. Those those are the three main issues. I put letter C in here under number one. I just want to mention this to you. I believe that if you're going to be a leader, leader in the church, a leader in a a small group, (coughs) a discipling group, I think these five characteristics need to really be part of your life. Honestly, number one, you need to be a man or a woman of the Word of God. You know, the Word needs to be in your heart and in your spirit every single day. And I know when I mention that, some people will say, okay, you say every day, I know what you mean by that, but I just don't want to get legalistic about the thing here. You know, every day, and uh, Scripture says that when we partake of the word of when we partake of the word of God in a devotional manner, and you know, we read it, we meditate on it, we take it into our hearts, that does for your spiritual life what eating a good meal does for your physical body. It's the very same same concept, and that's not just kind of a good analogy. Listen to this: the milk of the word. Okay, the meat of the word, the bread of life. David says, your word is like honey to my taste. A little dessert there. You know, and let me just mention that honey, back in David's day, was a very, very valuable, rare, expensive commodity. You know, I mean, if you had a farm and you found a beehive on your farm, you, you lucked out. And they did, they did raise bees back, in, uh, culture bees back in those days. But only the very, very wel- most wealthy had honey. And David says, your word, that's what your word is like to me, your word is like honey. All those being food images giving us the idea that when we partake of a portion of the word of God, it feeds our spirits, it feeds our inner man or inner woman empowers us, gives us the strength that we need, you know, to live life and to do ministry. And so I think the Word of God has to characterize, you know, the life of a man or a woman who is leading a D group. Uh, of course, personal prayer, you know, all of, I don't even have to talk about this. You know, the prayer is our power source. Um, I had a church in Atlanta. And I was the part-time associate minister while I was teaching at Atlanta Christian College. And we had 27 Delta pilots in our church. And they were all, you know, uh, our community was built for for the airline the airline uh, companies to live in. And um, uh, I called one of my guys um, three years ago. I, I said, and I, I said to him, "Tell me the largest jet engine made today on on planes anywhere." And he said, "Yeah, it's the uh, GE. Uh, I think it's the uh, GE 700 300 series, something like that." You know, it's got 115,000 pounds of thrust. Uh, it's 11, the interior of the engine is 11 feet tall. So I could stand there, you know, with another five feet above me. That's how big the engine is. Two of these will fly a 777 with all the people, all the cargo, everything effortlessly all across the uh, Atlantic Ocean and, uh, And I've just always seen uh, power, the Word of God and power as being those two engines for my life in Jesus Christ. Those are the things that power me, you know, that help me to keep moving. And and so both of them are so important. Uh, Let me just throw a word in here about fasting also. Uh, I fasted the first time when I was about 25, I think. And um, uh, I thought it brought me significant results, you know, but I did not like fasting, you know, didn't like it. uh, and it's um, it's still, out of all the major disciplines, fasting is still the hardest discipline for me, you know. But there are a large number of us who are starting a prayer fast movement. If you just go to uh, uh, the website, prayerfast.org, and a number of us have signed up there saying we are willing to join this movement and make prayer and fasting part of our life in Jesus Christ, you know, praying for, praying for the church, praying for our church, praying for all of the groups that are working to advance the gospel. It's all right there on the website. Uh, so we're asking people to fast on a regular basis, and people say, well, what, what, what is that? Every week, every other week, once a month, twice a year, what is it? And we just say, that's it's between you and the Lord. Uh, a lot of people are fasting uh, one meal a week. That's what a lot of people are doing one meal every other week, something like that. Some people are doing breakfast and lunch, uh, and then eating dinner that evening, uh, well, once a month, something like that. But I will just tell you that, that uh, fasting has taken me all kinds of places where I think I probably would not have gone without learning the discipline of, of fasting and really making it part of my, my life in Christ. Uh, I grew up with a mother who was an, a fabulous cook, and she we rarely went to a restaurant. She made incredible meals. Everything homemade. She made things with this white powder we don't see very often. It's called flour, you know, and uh, she would make stuff, bread and all kinds of cakes from scratch. And, um, and she would say to us, uh, this is how I show you my love by these meals and by these. So I grew up seeing food as love and security and very enjoyable. And, um, uh, and so if someone comes along and says, OK, give that up for a while from your, your normal normal routine, and it really I, it took me a while to kind of get into that groove and understand the incredible power of fasting. If you're not fasting right now, there is an excellent book out on the renew or is the re, discipleship table I think, renew. and okay, in the renew table and. Uh, uh, we, Michael and I especially would love to see you pick that up <laughs> and uh, go through it. The, the thing I love about our book is that it's, we just made it as practical as we possibly could. And in Michael's fasting section, we give you a plan. If you've never fasted, there's a plan to start, a step-by-step plan on how to begin to weave this into your life. So if you pick that up, I hope it'll be, be helpful for you. Uh, fasting uh, Obedience, of course is a key issue here in the life of a a discipler, the fact that I'm growing in my obedience. Here's what I found. The more that I genuinely come to love Jesus with all of my heart, the more obedient I become. I kid you not. The more you develop a relationship with Jesus, come to love Him, spend time with Him, become committed to Him, uh, the stronger your obedience gets. Uh, I'd really ask you to file that away. Then living in a spirit of genuine humility, I just read John 13 uh, on many, many occasions. uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. That story blows me away. It just shocks me every time I read it. Uh, Jesus Jesus was so extreme, you know, in being the leader doing the job of a, a slave girl, you know, a slave, a servant. I mean, it's just incredible. And then his his questions after he gets done washing the disciples' feet, you know, are just so penetrating. Um, so, just the idea of having a genuinely, a genuinely humble spirit. Uh, this whole ministry does need to be based on though on Zach, as, as Zachariah 4:6. You all know this verse. Just so good. This is the word of the Lord, as Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord of hosts. And that's how the, uh, the discipling ministry really needs to be run, I think, for sure. Moving on to our next, uh, next main building block is the idea of cultivating relationships. And I, I, know, I know you already know this. We don't need to speak a lot of time. The bottom line is this, though. Uh, uh, to have a, a relationship with the, the men or women you're working with is the thing that opens the door to their heart. I mean, I can read a book, a good book by a great author, and I get a lot a lot out of that. That's a benefit to me, you know. But the idea that there is someone who is is spending time with me, opening their life to me, uh, uh, coaching me, encouraging me, and that just that whole relational thing. I mean, that is the foundation, honestly. That's why uh, Bobby all, all the time uses the phrase relational discipling, you know, because that, because that is the foundation. So I hope that that will be encouraged. The third main, main building block is this. It's that the lead team of the church needs to be on board. You know, here's the bottom line, you all, uh, in, in a nutshell. The, the preaching senior minister guy and the, his staff and the elders need to understand what this is and be completely supportive of, of what's happening. Uh, that's the very best scenario. So in our church, you know, we've got the thing really launched. It's moving forward. Our senior minister has seven young married men with kids that he meets with every single week. Is D group our executive minister has a group of seven guys that he meets with every single week. A large number of our full-time leadership staff have groups of men and women that they lead every that they meet with every single week. You know, it's one of the reasons why we're getting traction, and I think that five years from now, it's just going to be amazing. My concern is we're going to run out of people to disciple in the church, which we will down the line because of the exponential growth that this thing produces. And so somebody said to me, well, what happens when, when we do that? And I say, man, just think. Then we go after non-believers to meet with us on a regular basis. You know? Let's go after those who aren't in the church. And I found that, that there are non-believers who are captivated by the fact, you want me to come to a meeting every week and study the Bible. Is, is that what you're saying? Uh, that, that's actually it. That's it. Yes. Would you be interested in doing that? And to would be amazed at uh, how many people are open to that idea. For sure, yeah. So this thing, I, I said to our elders, in ten years we're going to have a major problem. We're going to either have to build an entire new facility to handle the crowd because we don't have a room for a five thousand seat auditorium on our land right now, or we're going to just have to have ten new multi sites. But, but but we're going to have to do something because this facility we have will not handle the crowds, you know, that we're that we're having. So and I'm certainly looking forward to that. Um, What if your senior minister read a book five years ago about discipling and and thought it was a good idea, but not captivated by it? What do you do in that case? Nobody in your church is discipling at all. Uh, let, Let me just tell you. A great quote here from Greg Ogden about that. As a matter of fact, it's so good, I'd like for us just to read it. If no one in your church is discipling, but God is calling you to do that, here's what Ogden says. If you as an individual have a vision for making disciples that is not yet shared by church leaders, that should not stop you from beginning your engagement in disciple making. This can be quite a ministry that grows within the body. In order not to sow seeds of dissension, this is very critical, so you don't cause any reason for division. I would either seek permission from the pastors or church board, or at least make them aware of your intention. This then lays the ground over for a bottom-up change and states your desire to work in concert with church leaders. So that's it in a nutshell. If people in your church are not doing it, you definitely want to stay under the protective umbrella of the eldership of the church. Do not go rogue with this. Do not start something outside with your church people. I, I think that's unbiblical, you know, an, an unspiritual move. Go to the elders and the staff and say, this is what I would like to do. I need to ask your permission and I will communicate with you. I will over communicate with you all the time about what we're doing. So, you know, for a fact. So when I went to First Church in 2002 as just a member, there were no small groups. I think we had three, three quasi small groups that met on occasion. And that was it. A wonderful pastor that I love and is one of my closest friends, just did not believe in small group ministry, did not think it was a good idea. So I went to our education guy and said, you know, we, my wife and I have been in a small group for the last 35 years, and uh, do I have your permission just to gather five married couples and start meeting every week and studying and so forth? And he said, oh, yeah, sure, go ahead. That's great to do that. And so we did that really for about four years. And um, then uh, our our minister retired and love him and uh, hired a new minister who was all about small groups. So we hired a full-time small group guy who came in and uh, now it's one of the main pillars of our, our congregation, you know. But I wanted to make sure that what I was doing, they knew about and I would communicate with them on. I didn't want them to think there was a disgruntled member of the church who was out here doing something they didn't know about so uh, all of that under the umbrella of the of the elders of the church and start a group just quietly and just develop that group and then very quietly just like leaven okay just think of leaven Just very quietly just start start multiplying other groups and little by little and around, along the line, someone will come to you and say, hey, what is this like discipling thing you're doing? Tell us about that. And, you know, and hopefully in time, it could become uh, one, of the, one of the pillars of your congregation. And number four is you lead people in the discipling ministry. You all do this. Always begin with why. Always begin with why. This is incredibly important. You know, the fact that uh, when you're trying to persuade anybody or move anybody, there are two key things that you need to do in addition to one other we'll talk about in just a minute. When you're persuading people, you have to appeal to their intellect. You have to tell them why this is important, okay, and explain, you know, all the reasons why we need to be doing this. You also, though, need to appeal to their emotions, you know, in, in persuasive uh, and, and understanding the persuasive process. You can tell people why all day long and your reasons are so logical and realistic and they love it and they internalize it. They do nothing about it. It isn't until you touch their emotions that, you, that they will begin to get up in March. You've got to have an emotional appeal to this whole thing. you know, And the fact that uh, many, many of our churches are dead and they are weak and they're sick and they're ingrown and so forth. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons why this is so critical. So we always begin with why. Have you read Simon Sinek's book on Start With Why yet? Yeah. yeah. If you haven't read that, I, I'd get that. If you're, if you're leading in any way, start with that, that book for sure. So we appeal to the intellect. Uh, we appeal to their emotions. And uh, we encourage them uh, to get on board for sure. Always start with why. Number five, develop a good discipling experience. Always means beginning with effective recruiting. So what we're doing now is kind of shifting gears and talking about, okay, let's actually start talking about how we do this when you and maybe one other person who are ready to lead, and, 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 and two or three women also who were discipled in a campus ministry when they were at the university and they know what it is, something like that. Three or four of you are getting together. The issue of, of launching your first number of groups, it all begins after prayer with how you recruit people. This is really, really critical, how, how you recruit them, how you ask them to join. You know, one way is to grab somebody at the uh, end of church and say to them, hey, we're starting a D group, you know, it's this coming Tuesday at 630. Would you like to be there? Yeah, that, that, that's one approach to recruiting, <laughs> you know, really. Um, or, yeah, or maybe sending an email. Uh, Mary, we're starting a D group, you know, for women your age. Would you like, you know, so you all, I, I've tried everything. I've tried every approach known to man. And let me just tell you that, let me just tell you that works as a slam dunk. I promise you, this works like crazy. Uh, after prayer, you make a list of people, you know, and then I just call them one at a time and say, hey, Tom, uh, I'm uh, in, in a ministry at our church. You might have heard of it. It's the discipling ministry. I'm looking for six men to be in a group with me this coming September. And your name keeps coming to my mind. And uh, if you have any interest at all, what I would like to do is send you a copy of the covenant that involves the D group. Have you read through it and then meet me for coffee. And let me just walk you through it, give you a good idea. And that extra handout, you all, that I gave you, look at page 12. This is the training manual that we use to train our our D group leaders, okay? training manual we use to train our D group leaders. So I email this to them. I say, would you read through this? And I want to get together for coffee. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to read through this, make any questions you want. And we meet for coffee. And I say, here's the deal. This is what we're committed to. This is very, this is high accountability. You know, uh, it's um, meeting every week except Thanksgiving and a couple of weeks at Christmas time uh, and reading a chap until the end of May, reading a chapter of scripture every day even through the holidays, and then filling out the reporting section, which is the next page. It says addendum two on it here. And we give guys a notebook. And the notebook is for the entire year from our very first meeting day until our very last meeting day. Guys read scripture and then they answer these two questions. And I, I say to them, guys, don't, don't write a paragraph, a couple of sentences. You know, What was the main thing in this chapter that God spoke to you about? As you're reading through it, what, what really jumped out at you? And then question number two, uh, how, are, how is this going to change your daily life? And write one or two sentences in here. Uh, 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 do this every day. We're all committing to the fact we're doing it every day, not missing any days. Seriously. If you get home 1130 at night from the airport and you haven't had a chance to read your chapter that day, you know, what we're asking you to do is this. You don't go to bed. You know, before you turn in, I know your f- whole family's in bed, sit down, turn on a light in the family room, read your chapter and do these two do these two questions. And someone says, man, that, that that's heartless. You know. Yeah, it, it's it is heartless, really. It's worse than heartless. It's calling guys to a real level of commitment and we're serious. And there have been many, many nights when I've gotten in at midnight and turned the light on in the dining room and sit down and do what I told them that we would all need to be doing together. Uh, but, but, but this is the main commitment. Uh, they... Had the
0: same book every time? I mean, like the book of Mark or... It, or-
1: um, no, yeah, I'll tell you, what we do is we start with Matthew. At this particular time, we started with Mark from, from this example. And we, we just go right through all four Gospels and all the way through the New Testament. Yeah. And on, on some uh, some days, you double the chapters... Uh, like some chapters, chapter, some chapters have ten verses, you know. So we had we have them do two chapters. But here, here's the here's the clinker, you all, which you really need to know. Up here in the corner, it says October second, Mark second chapter. October third, Mark chapter three. Let me tell you, if you're working with men, you have to do this. <laughs> you know, I tried at first saying, okay, we're all going to start in Matthew, and read a chapter every day. You know. I only took about two weeks guys calling. Now, it's this Thursday. What, what, what's the, what is the chapter? To, you know, So th- this, this takes all that away. So every day, there's the calendar day, and there's what they're going to read. So it's just slam dunk all the way through. We give them a notebook with these forms all filled out with the day and, and so forth, the chapter, all the way through. For this year, it's 20, the 23rd of May as I'm flying to House Edelweiss, the 24th of May, you know, so uh, that kind of an idea. So go all the way through. And so that's it. Take this home. Show it to your wife. I want you, we want your, your wife or your husband to read this for sure, you know, and then, um, then I'll call you in about five days and ask for a response. So people say, okay, you don't even, you don't even have to call me. Yeah, yes, I'm in. I'm in for sure. Great. That's super. Would you do this though? Would you take it home and show it to your wife? You just just spend a day or two in prayer about it and, th- and then I'll call you. And, but it's wonderful to get that response. The guys are hungry and they're interested to go ahead and, and, and do that. So that's the covenant and the, um, note, the page out of the notebook that we use here. So uh, it's personal. It's you know I'm interested in having you in a group and you all. there's a great, great compliment in an invitation. You know, that out of everybody in the church, you came to my mind. And, and it, car- it really does carry a lot of weight. <laughs> so um, so we, w- I call them back. Uh, uh, Tom, uh, you know everything we're doing. You know when we're going to start. Two weeks from now, uh, are you in? Yes or no? And, uh, and uh, most guys say yes. A uh, number of people will say to you, I would love to do it. I just can't do it now. I can't work it into my schedule. Now, if somebody tells you no, do not try to convince them to, to, to come into the group. Don't try to twist their arm. They're, they're telling you that they honestly can't do this. And I found that if you twist arms and guilt people into being there, they say yes, and then a month later, guess, guess what? You know They're out. You know, but do this. The guy says, no, I can't do it now. Keep them on the list. And I just say, say to guys, that's great. I understand. This is between you and the Lord. I, I will probably call you next year though, because I think you would make a great group member. Is that okay? Oh, sure. Call me next year for sure. And many times after they've been able to get some underbrush uh, out from under what they're doing, they will go ahead and come on. So don't, don't drop their name if they say no. Just circle back around a year later and go ahead and pick them up again for sure. Now, well, why, why such a detailed process? You know, man, you know, it's so much easier just to grab them after Sunday school and stick a covenant in their hand. Yeah, it is. Easier, but let me tell you, the level with which you recruit will determine the the results that you get in the end. And if you recruit well, your group gets off to a great start. The main thing is that when guys come to the first meeting, they know everything that's required. You know, daily chapter, fill out the questions, pray for one another, everything on here, Uh, Christmas blowout at the Road Cups, uh, retreat two days this coming spring, they know all that's happening. Somebody says to me, you know, you, you have the potential. Well, and at our retreat, we put together three or four of the D-groups group, D and we all retreat together, like 25 of us there. And uh, somebody says, how did you get 25 guys, you know, out of four D-groups to come to the retreat? And the key is just to let them know the expectation before they ever say yes. Before they ever come into the group, they know what's required of them. And it, it just, it works like a charm. I mean, it really does. Uh, very good. Now, do, do you have any questions to this point? Anything you'd like to ask? Do
0: they, none of the um, people you picked know each other?
1: Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. In, in a, lot of, a lot of the groups, they do know each other. Yeah, a, a lot of the people. Now, this year, um, I have people from First Church and people from a church called Crossroads in Cincinnati. Um, and, and they don't know each other at all. So we're using a relational question every meeting just to help people get come up to speed and get to know each other and so forth. And we, we need to have a dinner sometime over the next month, an informal situation where we're just eating and talking and sharing. And I'll have, have a couple of relational questions to use at that time. But, um, yeah. And then in a church our size, a couple of groups that I've had, um, even even though they've been in the same church for 20 years, 10 years, they, they don't know each other, you know. You yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So we have three services on Sunday. So yeah, they w- may may not know each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'd encourage you to really give a lot of, a lot of attention to how you recruit people. It's really big. Moving on, then recruiting and encouraging disciples to disciple others. Just a couple, just a kind of a list of things that I wanted you to know. I wanted you to be aware of. Uh, first of all, uh, as the main recruiter. You are the spark plug. You are, you are the leader. You are the initiator. You are the proactive person making all this happen. So I would encourage you from your heart, genuinely, to be excited about this, you know, to be passionate about it. You know. Uh, let me just tell you something I learned years and years ago when you're in leadership. If you want your people to bleed, you have to hemorrhage. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, I just, am, I talk to my guys about this all the time. Uh, we celebrate things that happen. Um, I, I just model the spirit. You know, this is going to change our church. It could change our city. This could change our county. You know, this could spill over to the state of Kentucky, really, you know. And, and, uh, and so, so and, but, but I can't do it by myself. I have to have your help. You have to come on board with me. And uh, if those guys know you love them, and you're committed to them and you have a relationship. Uh, it, God will give them the vision. He will transfer the vision to them, too. I promise that He would. So the second thing is this. Uh, recruit through the positive experience of being in your group. So what we're talking about is the discipling group is started. It's going really well. And here's what you need to do. You need to suggest to the guys... Um, you know you're you were called to be in this group, and every man around this table, every woman around this table, you have the ability to lead a group someday. You can lead a group. You say, wow, like so you start out the third meeting, recruiting, yes mm-hmm. yeah, as a matter of fact, we start when we give the covenant out because if you'll notice on the covenant it says, um, if this is God's will and if I feel like this is what I'm being called to do i I, I will I will. Make disciples who make disciples. I'll be a leader. It's right there in the covenant. So we start out there and all along, you know, um, uh, just encouraging guys. I, I say to the guys over and over and over again. Now, when you have your group, don't forget, don't forget to do this, you know. I mean, I'm just assuming that they are going to have a group. When, when you, and a couple, a couple of guys in the group from last year said, whenever you said that, it, it struck me so hard, you know that yeah you know what i'm in this and i'm learning how to do this and maybe god is laying this on me you know to uh, to be a leader so uh, just just that kind of suggestion so forth uh, also in light of that i would use variety and make make the meetings that you have the formal meetings as fresh and alive as you possibly can please you all do not get your meeting formal meetings into a rut don't get into a rut same thing every time you meet same order same elements same Donuts from uh, from uh, you know same yeah same bakery you know um, uh, and, and just keep it alive and fresh so you have the opening warm up time how was your week with donuts and coffee you know then we have many times a sharing time where I use a relational question and we everybody has one minute to answer this question time give them a time you all if you don't the high participators will take twenty minutes of your meeting and they're they're good people. You love the high participators, make, make the group uh, wonderful. Um, so we do that. And then we have our Bible sharing time that always save time for prayer at the end. Those are the four elements. So last week when we met, we had our a relational donut time. And then I started the meeting with our prayer time. And we had an extensive prayer time so we could take care of that before we d- did the other things. So you keep the meeting fresh, keep it moving. When we got to Jesus in the garden, we scrapped about two thirds of what we normally did. And guys came in. We had a little bit of time together. And then I shut the lights out and lit three candles on our table. And I said, brothers, here's what we want to do. We want to think about Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just really slow down. We're going to read the passage. And we're just going to put ourselves there and think about what that must have been like for him. You know. And it was a very, very powerful meeting. You know, some tears. Guys cried and... Uh, so it's, it's some things like that. Don't get into a rut where you're just uh, continuing to do, do the same thing. A lot of creativity. Involve them as well. We'll talk more about that uh, a little bit of a later on. We have some of our groups who meet in homes, and and many of them meet at church. Uh, also, the idea of a um, uh, condo development. There's a clubhouse with condo places, and uh, and if you just put a, a date down to reserve that, I think and most of them are for free. So some of our groups will meet in places like that. The one place you do not, absolutely do not meet is a restaurant. Yeah. You know, just can't. The, the woman is paid to take care of you, and she will take care of you until the last dog dies, you know, is <clears throat> what she's supposed to do. Uh, so a restaurant is not conducive. You say, well, we have a back room that we meet in. Well, try it and see. But back rooms I've been in, the, the wonderful waiter waitress lady will still come in after you've paid and tipped her and said, we don't need anything else, she will still come in. And, and that's fine. It's not the end of the world, you know, but but just being in the church, being in a, being in a private place where you can pray, you know, um, slay people in the spirit. I mean, there are all kinds of... I'm joking, y'all. That was a joke. I shouldn't have said that. I understand. Just kidding, really. Yeah, but yeah, so uh, finding that good place. Let me talk to y'all for just a moment about letter C here. This is really important. The idea of using suggestion... To recruit people to do do uh, group leader uh, uh, assignments, uh, the power of suggestion. Power of suggestion. There are 28 ways to suggest to 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 um, uh, convince people, persuade people to do to do anything. 28 different approaches. Okay, I was really blessed years and years ago when CBS asked me to teach class. Uh, one of my majors is speech communication. They, asked, they said, would you teach a speech to class? And I said, what do you want that to be? And they said, we want the class on persuasion. And I was the one who got mo- the most out of it. 28 ways to persuade anybody. If you take 27 of those ways, altogether, they don't have the, em- the emphasis and the power that one, one approach to persuasion has. One approach. It's called suggestion. Just suggesting. It's used on all of us hundreds of times a day. Just just suggest something. Don't holler at anybody. Don't force them to do anything. Just make it a suggestion. Just suggest. So my wife and I go to a place everybody in Cincinnati knows about. It's called UDF, gas, uh, ice cream, various things like that. Uh, Just think of a a 7-Eleven on steroids, kind of of something like that. So I, I just needed gas. So I pulled in. I'm back pumping gas. And I looked up on the pump and it said, it said, this week, two gallon buy eight gallons of gas, get uh, two, buy eight gallons of gas, get two gallons of milk for $1.88 a gallon. I thought, now, I don't even know the price of milk. I, I opened my wife's car door and I said, do we need milk? And she said, you, actually we do. And I said, well, how, wh- how's $1.88? She said, that's a, that's a good price. Yeah. So I said, well, I said, it's two, ga- you want me to get two gallons or one? She says, get two if you can get it for $1.88. So um, I went back to pumping. And there was another sign that said, this week only, buy one dip of ice cream, get the second dip for free, you know? So I went back and opened her door and I said, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I said, you want an ice cream cone? She said, yeah, I'd love one. That sounds great. So I go in, I um, get two, two gallons of, of milk and two ice cream cones that I'm kind of holding between my fingers here. And I'm walking out to the car and I, and I just stopped in my tracks. And I said, what, what just happened? I mean, I just came in here for gas and wh- I'm carrying all the stuff out to the car. Well, uh, let me just say it. the reason that people use it all the, t- all the time is how effective it is. It works like crazy. You know, just suggesting you don't have to, you know. So I started using it on my wife. <laughs> okay, it works. Yeah, it works really. Where, where, where would you like to go for dinner tonight, hon? Oh, I don't know. Well, how about Olive Garden? How does that sound? Are you sure that'd be fine? You know, that's a very mild one. There are others. Until my wife sat in on a seminar that I did on this topic, and she found out what I was doing. So then she started using it on me, and I would say, "I know what you're doing. Don't, don't do that." You know, it does. It works great on your kids, your children. I'm serious. Uh, On congregation members, you know, ministers, elders. You know, the relationship we have. Let me just say, you can lead. In a powerful way, just through suggestion. Whether you're an elder or a preacher or whomever, just suggesting. If you if you don't believe me, I just try it and see. It is very very powerful, you know. So from the very first touch in the um, in the um, covenant, I suggest that maybe they want to think about being a leader. I mean, we, we need we need you to lead, you know. All through the year, I say, now, y'all, when you get your group, don't forget to do this, you know, and um, just all through, I'm uh, just suggesting. So this last group, we had seven men in my group last year. One of them, his mother is dying, and, she, and he, he's the primary caregiver. So we, we let him off the hook. The other six men in the group, all six of them are leading discipling groups. Started this month, all six of them, you know. And I didn't twist anybody's arm or anything like that. I just kept suggesting and encouraging and and leading us to where we're going to be headed here in just a moment. That's the power of suggestion. Um, I recruit these guys by continuing continuing to cast a vision for them. You all, what we're doing ha- will have massive impact on the church as we move along. Trust me, this this will greatly greatly impact our, our church. Um, I recruit them by continuing to cast a vision uh, to pray about their involvement as, uh, as D group leaders. One of the things that I do is just quietly between the Lord and I, I just I pray for them and say, God, all seven of these men that I have this year, they're all exceptional. They're all they all have the leadership gift, all of these guys. It reminds me of a stable full of stallions, you know. I mean really, man, they are leaders, they are opinionated and uh, own their own businesses. And, uh, you know, man, those are great guys. You get them pointed in the right direction, get their hearts committed to Jesus, and they will make things happen. I promise that they really will. So uh, uh, involving them, I build their confidence. I talk to them. You know, every one of you has the ability to do this. Keep that in mind. uh, Letter G, I recruit by encouraging them to understand that if God's calling them to serve in this way, they really need to respond. And it's an issue where I say, you guys, if, as you pray about this, just ask the Lord if you're supposed to be involved in this. I mean, ask the Lord, you know, uh, about this, and, and seek Him, and just bring the Lord into it full blown. In terms of content, we use a reproducible approach to Scripture that lay people can utilize. Oh, you know, here's a big, big piece, huge piece. You know, I say to group guys in the past many, many years, you know, I want you to lead a D group. Okay, uh, how about that? What, uh, what do we study then? What do we study? You know, well, um, you know, just kind of reading the Bible together. And, and it was just this nebulous thing out there that was always hard to overcome. And guys would say, man, I, there's no way that I can lead a Bible study for a group every week. I mean, I probably could put a lesson together, but I don't have seven hours every week to invest in that. And so what we have here is the Holy Spirit being the teacher. And that's what we've got. OK, so everybody is reading Scripture every day. I'm praying for them that God will take the scripture and really impact their lives. We come together. Everybody has read five, read seven chapters since we met la- the last time. And you're to pick two of the chapters out of the seven and you share your content about what you wrote down about those two chapters. Okay. And, and, and so the, the people f- provide the lesson. Now I had I I called a high, high, high level academic. And I said to him, "Let me tell you what we're doing here with this." And he said, "You you have to be kidding me. Are you kidding? That 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 you're you're letting these guys bring their opinions on the Word of God, you know?" And I said, "Yes, that's exactly what we're doing, you know. And we pray for, and and I'm there, you know. I mean, and the Holy Spirit is taking what we're talking about and really touching their hearts and giving them ideas and calling them to repentance in some cases." And he said, "Well, I'd say this, I, I, I." I personally, I would never use that approach. I've never used that. It's just so full of holes. And I said, well, and I said, well, okay, uh, that's understandable. Uh, you know, wh- whatever fits. I said, well, t- tell me what you're doing with your group. I'd really like to know. And he said, well, I, um, I, I don't actually have a group of men and, you know, and I said, oh, well, okay. I'm not, I, I don't want to go there, you know, but, um, but let me just tell you that again, if you pray and um, and you know and the guys that you have for a year or even two years, they've they've got some Bible, they've gotten some stuff. You're going through the gospels, and you know, and you act as the color commentator as they're sharing what they're, you know, I don't comment on every single guy that that brings stuff up, But every now and then somebody hits on a really key verse. I mean, a real gem. And you've got to stop and say, okay, before we go on, you all, what, 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 what does that mean there? You know, and, you, and you bring that out and you put it up in, in the light and call people to think about that. And so you are giving content all through, all through the time. But even if you don't feel real comfortable in doing that, other people will make comments as you're, as you're reading and talking. You know, I've got two or three guys in my group that um, they're not ministers in any way, but it's very obvious that they have been in scripture a lot and heard a lot of sermons and have a lot of ideas and and, and they do a good job. So the Holy Spirit is the teacher um, and you're facilitating. That's basically what you're doing. So you say to lay people, here's the good news. You don't have to prepare a lesson. You don't prepare a lesson. You just do your reading and you're prepared to go there and tell about your two chapters. And then you just kind of guide the discussion as it's moving along. And lay people will say to you, I, I, I think I could do that. I can do that. I just can't do a seven hour a week lesson every week. So the thing about the method we're using, which was created by a guy named Micah Oder, at the Russell School of Ministry in, uh, in, in, in Northern Kentucky. You know, uh, Micah came up with this idea and, and different people are doing different things with it. But the great point about this is that it is reproducible by lay people. You know, that, that's the power of what, uh, what we're finding out is really working here. So uh, uh, that, that's, that's the approach that, uh, that I would certainly recommend. Um, under key aspects, uh, number seven, uh, l- I know we're running out of time here. L- 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 let me just mention the big breakthrough that we had in our groups with saying to guys, we want you to be a D group leader and them saying, no, you know, I-, I could never do that. The big breakthrough we had was we created co-leaders for one group. That was the big breakthrough. This last year, the fact that six of our guys, six of the seven are leading groups, you know, this week, I said to the guy, I said to myself, you know, Jesus, when he sent people out to do ministry, he sent them out two by two. And uh, so what's the deal? Why don't we just have co-leaders instead of asking one woman to take this on who's never done it before. She's got a partner and they lead the group together. And I rolled that out to these, uh, these six guys who were potential leaders in my group last year. All six of them said, I, I-, I-, I can do that. Yes, I could, I could do this with a co-leader. I just can't do it by myself. And we said, you know, Eureka. We found it. Yeah, we we got we're onto something here, and so I, it's been so so joyous for me to watch these guys calling guys, lining them up for their groups, working in tandem, working together, and um, uh, and and our, our last group launched uh, um, yesterday. Uh, it was it was our la- our last group started yesterday. Yeah, out of uh, out of the eight eight new groups that we created. So uh, so the, bi- the big key is having co-leaders. And I say to them, you all, I-, I would do this. Just take turns every week. You know, man A teaches week one, man B teaches week two. And one guy said, what if we taught for two, two weeks at a time? And I said, yeah, that would work fine. Sure. You know, just whatever you feel like works, works best. But, but don't put too much on one person and spread it out. And, um, and th- those guys are just all off and running, you know it's it's really happening. Now, we're not really where we need to be, but uh, but we're a whole lot farther along than we were even a year ago in figuring out how this works, how this works in the American culture. Uh, let me also just mention quickly as we come down to the end here. One of the keys to this whole process is this. You have to have a person, a paid staff member or a lay person oversee and shepherd this whole program, this whole ministry. You've got to have a person who, for whom this, he is ultimately, she is ultimately responsible for this. If you launch all of this and say, you know, we're going to give everything to leaders, get them set up, get their notebooks, and launch the thing, and hey, you guys, let us know how you're doing about Christmas time. You know, uh, give us an idea of how it's going. No, here's what we found out: if you will connect with the leaders on a regular basis. Do all of the list that's in here. You you buy books for them on occasion. Just call them on the phone. Hey Tom, how was your group last week? You know anything that build your co-leader doing okay? Anything that I can do to help you? Just checking in, man. I'm so, hey, I am so proud of you two. You guys are doing a great job. You're making a real contribution to the kingdom here. You know, uh, I, I'll get two of them out for lunch at Chick-fil-A. You know, just go out for lunch. Hey, just informal. Hey, tell me about your groups. What what's going on? How are you doing? You know and just talk, answer questions, and so forth. Here, here's the deal. You have to do that with the leaders of your groups if you want your groups to be sustainable. You've got to take care of the leaders. We found out if you will take care of the leaders, they will take care of their groups. They really will. They'll, they'll do their groups well if they're being taken care of. So notes through the mail, an email, an email, uh, uh, possibly. I send all of the guys in my group an email like every Friday or Saturday. It's kind of wrapping up, talking about something we've read, encouraging them, praying for their families, you know, and so forth. And uh, so, so you have to take good care of your leaders if the group is going to be, be sustained. And it's a very, very big part. <laughs> so I, I did all of our group this year. Uh, and you know, on page uh, six, I think it is, uh, I have a whole list of things to do. to to train, to be with your leaders. Uh, And and just if you'll uh, check that out and follow that along here. Um, uh, 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 Just in terms of uh, the the whole idea of keeping the leaders well taken care of and then I I promise you they will then go ahead and take care of the groups. Last thing on our list, and I know we need to go ahead and, and wrap up here. Uh, you can le- read this for yourself a little later. You need to be very, very aware of the issue of spiritual warfare surrounding this whole this whole thing. I want you to know, flat out, uh, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. Let me just prophesy here and tell you. Satan hates, Satan hates what we're doing here right now. He hates this. He hates that we're talking about it. He hates that this meeting is going on and he especially hates the fact that you would consider looking into this more and starting some kind, some kind of a ministry like this in, in your circle. You know, because as long as you're not doing this, he's got a real toehold. He's got a real step up. But as soon as you begin doing this kind of a process with this concept, you know, I will tell you that um, we are punching all kinds of holes in the walls of the kingdom of darkness by doing this. We're causing massive damage to, 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 the, to the world of darkness, to Satan's kingdom. And he does not want this to go on. So I tell my guys all the time, you're entering a new level here in, in your spirit life. you know. And if, in fact, you, you are sensing a heightened level of maybe spiritual warfare in your life, don't, don't, be, don't be surprised about that. Satan will not take putting something like this into the life of your church. He will not take this laying down, I promise you. And so you've got to toughen up and just be aware of what he does. Just follow the teachings of Jesus as you work through the spiritual warfare. Just follow whatever he told you to do. Do that as things come up. And just be aware that your prayer is a huge uh, uh, shield around you and your men, around their families. And just make sure that prayer is there. And just be aware of the fact that, that you have a target on your back as big as that door over there because you stepped into the leadership role. You're in the leadership harness. You're making something happen. So I would just say, brothers and sisters, j- just be aware. Don't, don't be afraid, you know. Here's the good news. Greater is he who is in me, in us, than he who is in the world. And that really tr- is true and applies to us here for sure. So, so you all, there's the spaghetti, okay? <laughs> there you go. It's all up on the wall. You know, take what works for you. Um, I don't know if I put my email address on, uh, on the, uh, the outline. Is it on there? Yeah. And y'all really, if you need questions answered, if you need help of any kind, if you need resources, don't hesitate. Uh, if you write to me, it may take me a day or two if I'm out of town or whatever, but, um, but I will get back to you and let me know how you're doing and I'd be glad to provide any answers, any resources, just anything, anything like that at all.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope that it pushed you forward in your journey of becoming a disciple maker. Next up, we've got one more episode featuring David from TCM International. So make sure you hit the subscribe button to know when I release that episode. And if you haven't already, I would suggest that you check out tcmi.org as a resource for you. Maybe you're thinking about going back to school to learn some of this stuff in an official way. So make sure to go check that out. All right, y'all thanks for listening and I hope to catch you on the next episode. Have a great rest of your day.